Amen and amen. Well, we're on part four of our series we've been on called Pursuing God. And, um, you know, it would just be wrong to do a series on pursuing God and, and leave out the book of Song of Solomon. And so I have to, I have to, it's almost, there's a rule somewhere almost that you have to do at least one session on the book of Song of Solomon if you're going to talk about holy passion or pursuit of God. And so we're going to do that tonight. Now, I'll just say this on the front end. I realize that in the room, we've got people that have been studying Song of Solomon for 20 years, and we've got people that when you get to Song of Solomon, that's the part of your Bible where the pages are still stuck together quite a bit. I get that. I get that we got the whole spectrum, and so tonight's going to be a bit of an introduction. So for you that have been around it for a long period of time, just know that this will help you. It'll seed some, some fresh thoughts in you. And those of you that aren't familiar with the book of Song of Solomon, this will help as an introduction. It'll get you pointed in the right direction. Now, I, I would just say this in, in you know, an introduction and a start, that for, I would say, probably 10 or, or 12 years uh, after I got saved, I never really paid attention to this book in the Bible. This was that fruity little book about uh, some love song and, you know, I got lost about verse two as soon as it said, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. At that point, I'm like, good, this is for the, the women's ministry. Let's just move along. And then I don't have to worry about being kissed by a, a man. And, and, and we'll, we'll, we'll just go from there. But, you know, I would just say this. I neglected this book uh, for uh, quite some time, too much to my own loss. Because uh, there are two radical things the Lord did in my life when I began to actually um, study this book. And, and when I did first study it, I mean, I got encountered by the Lord. And, and I, I, I probably listened to 50 hours of teaching on it within a, a few months period of time. And then I studied it in another, you know, 100 hours. And, and then, it, you know, over the years, I've preached on it you know, dozens and dozens of times and, and studied it hundreds and hundreds of hours. But I mean, the Lord really impacted me in that first few months of just looking at this book. And there's two key things that he did. The first thing was this, uh, I, I would just say this in, in my Christianity, I can trace back to when I first really began to understand the love of God. It was through the book of Song of Solomon. And I went probably uh, 10, 12 years as a believer, understanding sort of with my head, hey, God loves me, yeah, I get that. But it really not being a heart reality and, and the way that the Lord uh, encountered me to make it something that was more of a heart thing for me was through the book of Song of Solomon. It's powerful, it was a radical change in my life. I felt like I'd gotten born again, again. It was that level of a shift. Well, the second thing that happened was this, uh, and you have to understand that I came from a background where we would, uh, in, in church, we would study marriage um, four to eight weeks a year, and we'd go on annual marriage, uh, you know, retreats with our, with our spouses, and, and my wife and I probably did 10 of those, and multiple marriage conferences and, and series, but I would just say this, it wasn't until I got the book of Song of Solomon that I understood the key to marital love. And Ephesians 5 is super, super clear. Uh, Paul said it this way. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And it hit me like, I mean, just an arrow to the heart that if I don't understand how Jesus loves his bride, then there's no way that I can love my bride that way. And, and, and here's the, the macro to the micro. Most often when we talk about the love of God and the love of God for people and the love of God for the church, we always make it about them over there somewhere, that group. We think of the church and we go, the church global, capital C church all over the world. Jesus loves the church. And, and what we end up doing when we do that is this, is, is we actually step outside of that group. Even though we're, we can fully be in the church and fully be born again, when you talk about the group, the church, oftentimes you, you don't think of yourself as part of it. And so when you talk about God's love for the church, a lot of times you think God loves them, his bride, whoever they are. He loves them. He loves her. 
And, and a lot of times you, you separate yourself from the group. And here's what you have to do. One of the key critical thoughts about God's love and about the book of Song of Solomon is this. You have to understand that the love of God is for, yes, the church, and he has a passionate, burning, fiery love for the church. He laid his life down for humanity out of love. But what you have to do is you have to recognize that you are a part of the church and that the fire and the passion of the heart of God for the church is also for you individually. It applies to the individual as much as it applies to the corporate group. And this is when the ignition takes place when you're looking at this book, Song of Solomon, when you realize that this isn't a love story about God and someone else or some other group, but this is a love story about God and you. That you're on the other side of his affections. It's you, it's your face, it's your name. And man, when that thing hits your soul, it changes your perspective on everything. So with that, let's just take a look at the notes and we'll just begin to walk through here. And then tonight I'm gonna give you seven prayers of pursuit that are found in the book of Song of Solomon that I've been praying for years. And I wanna give them to you as a means to help you in your devotional time, to help you to pray prayers of holy passion and, and fire uh, in, your, in your personal time with the Lord. All right, so let's look at this. Roman numeral one, Song of Solomon. This book, the Song of Solomon, it's the key book in the Bible of holy love and passionate pursuit. That's not an overstatement. That's absolutely the truth. This is the key book of holy, passionate love and pursuit of God. And it's probably the book that, that depicts uh, in, in the most raw way, holy pursuit. Now, I would just say this as an aside. I know that the word is rawest and rawer. I know it's not most raw, but most raw sounds better than rawer and rawest, just saying. <laughs> I like words. I like words to be said the right way. Occasionally, I'll make up a word. When people find that I made up a word, I like them to tell me. But I happen to know that it's most raw is not actually correct. It's rawest, but for our, our sake, let's just say most raw, it sounds better. Uh, but it's probably the most raw depiction, and the reason why is the language is so intense. It's so intimate. It's, uh, just say it a different way, it's downright embarrassing. <laughs> Kisses, embraces, people are ravished, people are lovesick. And then there's these intimate physical descriptions. They say words in the Song of Solomon that you don't say in church. And because of that, it has this, you know, like, hey, I'm not sure about that book. I know, I know believers. They say, yeah, I don't read that book. That book's just, it's something weird with that book. It's in the Bible, y'all. It's the Bible. If it's in the Bible, you don't go, oh, I don't read that one. It's weird. You can't. It's the word of God. God was doing something. Now, here's the thing about it. It's probably the most misunderstood, maybe with the exception of the book of Revelation. It's, it's one of the most misunderstood books in the Bible. But the, the difference between it and the book of Revelation is this. I'd say the book of Revelation is very misunderstood and very paid attention to. Everybody's got an opinion about the book of Revelation, right? Is it pre, mid, post? Thorough, all, before, after, <laughs> who knows? I mean, they just throw it all out there, right? There's every kind of, of version, uh, uh, you know, of the, uh, the way the end times are gonna play out. And, and everybody's got an opinion about the book of Revelation, but with the book of Song of Solomon, people just stay away from it. That's that weird fruity book. It talks about, you know, cakes and raisins and shade trees. And I'm not doing that, so... That was, the, that, was the, that was the major mistake I made. I, I would say it's probably one of the most uh, prominent mistakes I made as a young believer was staying away from the book of Song of Solomon because it seemed strange. And, um, and so here's the deal. <clears throat> the key to understanding the power of the book of Song of Solomon is understanding this, that it's an allegory. That just means this, it's a figurative story that, and God uses 
the human romantic relationship between a man and a woman, he uses that relationship to depict his passionate love for people. Man, when that thing begins to shift in your mind that this isn't just some sort of, you know, love poem and cakes and raisins and flowers, but it's actually God utilizing the picture of human romance to speak of his desires and his longings for us, then something shifts in the way that we read it. So it's an allegory, it's a figurative story that talks about God's passionate love between himself and his people and it utilizes human romance as a means of illustration, that's the point. And so once we understand that it's an allegory, then we can kind of get our mind around what this thing is actually doing. Now, just back to D in your notes. At the end of the age, the church is going to understand that she's a bride. Now, right now, I would say in many quadrants of the church, there's almost no understanding about being the bride of Jesus. Uh, There's a lot of emphasis on, on different aspects of our relationship to God. Uh, many people see, us, see themselves simply as God's servants. Um, some see themselves as the, the army of God, and that's emphasized a lot. We're warriors and spiritual warfare or something like that. And so, then some will see our, uh, you know, the church as the family of God. And then you'll hear intimacy kind of teachings about being like sons and daughters of God. And, and then you'll hear uh, messages about being the bride of Christ. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. When Jesus returns to the, the planet and he comes for the church, in, in, when he's talking about returning for the church, he always talks about the church as the bride. Which tells you this, that the church will understand her identity as a bride so that she can receive her bridegroom that's coming for her. And so when you see like Revelation twenty two seventeen, and the, the, the phrase is the spirit and the bride say come. The point is that the church across every nation of the earth, she is gonna understand her identity as a bride who is deeply loved passionately loved by God. She's gonna know this across the nations. And so my point is, the revelation of who we are as the bride of Christ is going to hit the church all over the earth before the Lord returns. And one of the key ways that that's gonna happen is through what God has packed into the book of Song of Solomon. Now, I personally believe this, that many of us that have been studying the book of Song of Solomon for a long time that we've just barely even begun to scratch the surface on the depths of the love of God for his people. Because this thing has to explode across the nations. It has to explode across the church. I'm talking about the revelation of God's love for us and our identity as his bride. It has to explode across the nations. And for that to happen, we have got to have a much richer and deeper understanding of the burning heart of the bridegroom God and who we are as his beloved. Amen. Amen. And so this thing, I mean, I would just say this, we're at the beginning of the beginning, even those that have been studying it for quite some time, we're at the beginning phases of even understanding what it means to be the bride of Christ and to know what it means to have a bridegroom God who's, who's passionately and in a fiery way in love with us, his people. All right, look at, look at F. Uh, so I just say this, that the Song of Solomon, even beyond all that, it's critical for every Christian to understand. And, and the reason why is this. The book, it depicts the journey that every Christian has to go on from immaturity to maturity in love. And that's the story of this book. It's the journey that every believer goes through. Every believer, you get saved, you are immature, you don't know love, you begin to understand that God loves you in a in a you know a seed way, and the journey of your life is growing in the knowledge of the love of God. Ultimately, unto this, till the love of God is everything. Till it's everything to you. 
You know that you're mature as a believer when God's love is really all that matters. That's the journey. Now, here's the thing. I, I, I would just say this. I wish I hadn't, like I said, just ignored this book for so many years because this, in the book of Song of Solomon, you have this journey that this maiden goes through. She falls in love with this king and he falls in love with her, but she's a peasant and he's a king and she can't figure out how this is gonna work. And in fact, she's so covered in shame because she sees that she's broken and, and, and dark in her heart. She says, don't even look at me. Man, so many believers are like that. They get saved, they, they feel like God loves them and then they're just like, man, I'm just, I'm unworthy. And, and so often they think that the Lord is saying, you have to perform, you have to work to show me how much you love me. And it's completely false. Because in the book, what happens, she starts off and she's immature in love. She sees that the king loves her. She sees that she's immature. And she says, she says don't look at me, but, but can you help me? And he goes, absolutely. And he begins to tell her over and over and over again, you're beautiful and I love you. You're beautiful and I love you. I like to say it this way. He says, you look good and I like you. You look good and I like you. In fact, in the book of Song of Solomon, every time the king talks about the bride, he always says either you look good and I like you or you look good or I like you. Every time he talks about her. One of, one of those two things. He always says, you look good or I like you or you look good and I like you. Every time, let it rain. <laughs> and that informs us of God's affections for us. When God speaks to you, you know what he's saying to you? You look good and I like you. But she goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm a mess, I'm a wreck. Don't you see all this wreck? He goes, you look good and I like you. I'm a peasant, I don't have anything to offer. You look good. I like you, I like you. No, you like people who are perfect. He goes, no I don't, there aren't any. <laughs> I like you. And that's where the offense of the, of the gospel begins to kick in. Because you and I have to deal with the fact that Jesus didn't die for superstars and superheroes and perfect people. He didn't die for epic heroes from the ages. He didn't die for only straight A students. God bless all of you straight A students. He died for broken down people like me and you. Not to sort of like rescue the, the stray pups, you know? Rescue the little you know, stray cats and the lost dogs. He actually died for you and I because that's what he wanted. He wanted you and I. And I think about myself and I go, man, I'm, I'm just not worth dying for. I think about who I, who I was without Jesus and I got, I'm just not worth dying for, Lord. He goes, you have no idea the depths of my love and the way I feel about you the way I think about you. You look good and I like you. And I remember who I was as a 15 year old wreck doing every you know, bit of drugs I could get my hands on into everything that, that ruins a person's life, full of hate, you know, full of anger, you know, stealing everything I could get my hands on, just a complete wreck, a throwaway. And he was staring at me and he was saying, you know what about you? You look good and I like you. Because he wasn't looking at all the wreck of my outside, he was looking at the truth of who I would be on the inside. He said, I love you. And, and so th that's the journey. And so she goes through this thing of immaturity into maturity, and there's seasons where, man, she's feeling his love, she's hearing his voice, man, it's just, she's growing. And then there's seasons she's like, what happened, where are you? I don't hear you, I don't see you. I, I, I don't know where you're at and she's lost. At least she feels like she is. And then he shows back up again and her heart explodes again. And oh, I never wanna let you go. And then he's gone again. And so many Christians, this is what happens to them. 
they explode in their heart and their love with God and they explode in their relationship and they get saved and they're just, oh man, everything's awesome. And they're in this honeymoon with God and then the honeymoon is over. And then they're like, where are you? He left me. And they get offended because they feel like God left them without even understanding it. Guys, the book of Song of Solomon explains all of it. Explains all the ups and all the downs. Explains when people get jealous at you. Explains when people do you wrong and you didn't do anything wrong. It, it goes through that whole journey with this maiden. It's worth your time. It will, I, I can't tell you how often I've taught this book and people go, you've just explained the last 40 years of my life. And I go, man, I'm sorry you didn't hear this 40 years ago. And they go, I am too, because I, I've been through 40 years of wilderness trying to figure out why God didn't like me anymore. And that was never the case. It's worth your investment. So once you kind of get your mind around this thing as an allegory, then there's some key terms that you gotta wrestle through. And I just put a handful of them here, but I wanna just walk through them a little bit with you to kind of give some of the key themes. Once you get these terms down, these phrases, there's themes that each one of them holds. So uh, the first one is one of the key ones for the whole book. And it's what she says right there at the beginning. She's this little peasant girl. She's working out in, in, uh, in her family's gardens. And, and she says, I'm dark, but I'm lovely. But don't look at me. She says, the sun has, has burned me. And you have this picture of this, this young maiden who's been working outdoors, working with her hands, and, and her, her clothes are a wreck, and, and she's just been burned and, and tanned by the sun, and she's just in this place of feeling like you know, she's just not worth anything. And, and, and it's like this moment where she looks and she sees the king and her eyes catch his and his eyes catch her. And she's, she's like, I, I wanna be with him. And he's looking at me, but somehow it's clear he desires me, but I can't, I don't want him to look at me and see me like this. She says, I'm dark, but lovely. Somehow he, he likes me, he loves me. But then she says, but don't look at me. And it's right there, this phrase, dark but lovely, that, that's an allegorical phrase. And, and, and what it speaks of is this, it speaks of you and me. It speaks of how you and I are weak and we're broken and we've got issues. Issues. <laughs> issues. Everybody's got them. That's a nice sanitized term. We make mistakes, we fall into sin, we do things wrong. We say things wrong. We think things wrong. We jack things up from time to time. We've got dark areas in our hearts. We're not perfect. There'll be a day when we, you know, put on perfection and we put off imperfection. We're born again. We have God in our spirit, but our, our flesh and our soul are being conformed to the image of Christ. Well, this is the state of every believer. You've got dark spots, dark places in your soul, weaknesses and sins and, and, and a propensity to mess things up. But at the very same time, God looks at you and he says, you're beautiful to me. And, and, and you and I, what we do is we go, there's no way I'm beautiful to you. I'm a wreck. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. You're beautiful to me. You're what I wanted on the cross. You were the joy set before me. You're what my heart was burning for. You're what kept me to the cross, my desire for you. And most Christians, they have a hard time dealing with that most offensive thought that perfect God wants imperfect you. But it's absolutely true. Though we are dark, though we are weak, though we are broken, he loves us ever still. He loves us ever still. And let me tell you something, he will never love you more than he loves you right now. He can't. I love this. I was reading something that Chris, who just gave our announcement about children's ministry that he had said earlier uh, this week. He said, there wasn't ever a time when God started loving you. He's loved you with an everlasting love. Thus, there's nothing you've ever done to make him love you. He's loved you the same from forever. And you can't improve upon his love. You can't make him love you more. 
You can't work to get God to love you. He loves you at an infinite level with infinite intensity already right here, right now, just as you are. He loves you like that. That is the beginning understanding of love. If you think you've got to work to try to get God to like you more, you don't understand love yet. You just don't get it. His love's better than that. And if you think that somehow you've got darkness that somehow overwhelms and beats his love, like your badness is worse than his, is, is stronger than his goodness, you don't know how good he is. That somehow your sin is more powerful than the power of his love, that's deception. No, while you were yet a sinner, Jesus died for you because he loved you and he wanted you, and he wasn't going to be denied. I remember when I first started getting this revelation about the love of God and about this very verse, this phrase, you know, dark but lovely. I'm dark but lovely. I was like, God, I'm in touch with my darkness, but I don't know how in touch I am with my loveliness. You know, you just don't feel that lovely. I don't know what you feel like when you wake up in the morning. I don't describe myself as lovely when I wake up, but... You know, just, just getting this. I've been saved for years, and I was just getting that he loved me, no matter, no matter my wreck of me. And, and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm driving in my car, and I'm, I'm meditating on that. I'm dark but lovely. Oh, man, he loves me. He loves me. I'm just like, yes, dark but lovely. And I have a, a unique um, spiritual gift. I am, uh, I am like, I am uh, magnetic to police officers. <laughs> They're like drawn to me. I mean, just, just confirm it, Lord. I just appreciate that rain, confirming the word. But I mean, they are so drawn to me. And I was sitting there and I'm meditating on how I'm dark but lovely. And boo, there's the blue lights right behind me. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. No, no, I'm dark but lovely. You can't be giving me a ticket right now. And I, and I pull over and I get the ticket. You know, you, you, you break the law, you get a ticket. You know, you speed, you get a ticket. It was one of those that was over 15 over. So, I mean, it's a couple hundred bucks. I was like, oh, frustrating. And I get back in the car and I'm like, Lord, what was that? So we feel the love of God right now, but I don't feel it anymore. I feel like shame and I feel bad and ugh, I'm just a mess. And, and it was almost like in my mind, I just said, see, I knew it. I knew it. I don't really qualify for the love of God because people that are loved by God, they don't get speeding tickets <laughs> and they don't do wrong ever. And everything's awesome for them all the time. And here's me and I'm, I'm, I don't qualify. And the Lord spoke to my heart. Now, mind you, I've been in the ministry at this point, 10 years been saved 15 years. And the Lord speaks to my heart. And he says, the revelation of dark but lovely isn't for when you're feeling lovely. It's for when you're feeling dark. And he says it to my heart. He goes, it's just as true right now as it was 15 minutes ago. And you have to understand it in the dark moment just as much as you understand it in the moment when everything feels awesome. And man, I remember that hit my heart and I thought, wow, this is true. He, he likes me, he loves me, even though I'm a wreck, even though I make mistakes, dark but lovely. That's what that means, that even though we're weak and broken and needy, God still deeply desires us and he loves us, even in our weakness. That's the beginning understanding. There's this other phrase, love sick, love sick. Almost nobody uses that, that only shows up in romantic poems. I mean, it's just an unusual term. If, if, when you see lovesick in the book of Song of Solomon, think spiritual hunger. Think spiritual hunger, because that's what it's about. Lovesick is coming to the place where you realize that God is the only thing that's going to satisfy your life. That you're lovesick, that your love is the thing that I have to have. If I don't have your love, I am going to just be completely you know, broken and bankrupt forever. I must have your love. I am love sick. That's what it is. It's spiritual hunger. It's the clearest 
phrase that describes spiritual hunger in the book of Song of Solomon. And it's that place where you say, there's nothing else in life that can possibly satisfy me except for your love. C, ravished. God says, you've ravished my heart. Ravished. That's a a really uh, powerful word. It's only used in romantic places, but in the book, it's, it's stunning because God says this about the maiden. Now, again, this is that time when you can't make it about the, the, the person in the story or the friend that you have or the church global. You actually have to dial that thing in and make it about yourself for it to have the, the impact. And this is the truth. When your eyes are faithfully set on Jesus, when you walk through trials, which is what she goes through, she actually goes through a time of disobedience in the book. She goes through a time of disobedience and then she goes through this trial. And after all of that, he says this amazing phrase. He says, you have ravished my heart with one glance of your eye with one link of your necklace. You've ravished me. God says that to us. Now I know that just seems completely outer limits, that the, 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 what's going on in the heart of God is that he is overwhelmed and overwhelmed and overcome with love for us. That seems so like, wow, that's just so distant. That is absolutely the truth of the way that God feels about you and I. Not us just corporately, us individually. And he says this with one glance. So this is the absolute truth of it then. When you close your eyes, you raise your hands, whether you feel it or not. And you set your face towards his and you just say, I love you. I love you. Something happens in the heart of the divine that is beyond your comprehension. You actually impact his heart with love in such a way that he describes it as being ravished, overwhelmed, overcome by your affections. I know we want to be overwhelmed and overcome by his affections. And he says, I, you know, that's what he'll happily do to us is overwhelm us, impact us with his affections. But when we turn toward him and say, I love you, it has an impact on his heart that overwhelms and overcomes him. He says one glance. And that term, one link of the necklace. A necklace is something a woman wears to beautify herself. The, the link of the necklace is, it's one activity of love toward the bridegroom. He goes, any little activity of love, you've ravished me. If you ever wonder how God thinks about you, turn right there to Song of Solomon, turn to chapter four and chapter six and read what he says. Am I hitting wind on there? Is that what's going on? Glory. Glory. I can't even try to make it happen. Turn to chapter four and chapter six and read what he says about how he feels. He's overcome, overwhelmed, and ravished by you. He's ravished by you. When that sets in on you, your perspective on everything changes. When you understand the burning heart of the bridegroom God, that he's ravished by you, your perspective on everything changes. And some of us would say, well, man, my love's not, it's not mature love, so it's not, it doesn't have that same impact upon God. And I would say, no, no, no. Weak love is real love. Even if it's weak, it's real love. And weak love has the same impact as mature love. I love to give this example. If I have a tree and one of them is full grown, I mean, it goes through the roof. Imagine it here on the stage, giant tree blowing all the way through the roof. And I have a seed off of that tree and I plant it in some soil and I've got a little pot right here. I've got a little sapling sticking up. Are they not both trees? They're both trees. One is just really small, but it doesn't mean it's not real. (laughs) That real love, even though it's small, 
still impacts the heart of God. Your real love impacts his heart. That's why he says, you've ravished me. He's talking about the way his heart responds and burns with desire towards his people, even though we're weak and immature. And then this D, set your seal on my heart. That's, you find it in chapter eight, where she's praying there and she's at this place of mature holy love. And she says, set your seal on my heart. Set your seal. And it's talking about the love of God encapsulating the heart. And it's not just a protective seal, it's a governing seal. And the idea is this, there's a place you get to in the love of God where what you realize is the only ambition of your heart is to know more love, to know God's love more. And the only activity of your heart, it comes through the lens of love. You live by love and you live for love. And you're reduced to love. And that's maturity in love. That's the holy seal of love on the heart. And you've met people like this. And you're just like looking at them and you go, nothing's bothering them. Why don't they get frazzled? Like everybody's frazzled. Like why aren't they frazzled? And you want them to be frazzled. You know, all the, all the people that are freaking out, they want the, everybody else to freak out too. Ah, it's all freaking out. Aren't you freaking out? Yeah, I'm freaking out. We're all freaking out. Ah! And then there's this other guy over here and he's not freaking out at all. He's happily standing there. You guys okay? We're freaking out. You need to freak out. I don't feel like I'm freaking out. I feel good. <laughs> well, don't you think you should freak out? No. Well, why not? I look good and he likes me. <laughs> don't you understand? Everything's going good. I look good. <laughs> he likes me. Uh, I mean, just, I look kind of good. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's something that's governing how that person feels that's different than what's governing everybody else. That's the, that's the seal of love on the heart. The fiery seal of love. It's governing the heart. It's protecting the heart. It's covering the ambition of the heart. That heart is no longer working for self. It's working Hallelujah. to give love and to receive love. Does that make sense? The seal, that's what it's talking about. All right, seven prayers of pursuit from the Song of Solomon. I'll just, we'll work through these and then we'll land. Seven prayers of pursuit. Now, I would just, I'm giving these to you because as I was just thinking about pursuing God and thinking about Song of Solomon, it's the book of holy passion and how God's love is what compels us, it's what controls us, it's what constrains us, it, it, it's what moves us. And I was thinking, okay, I gotta talk about Song of Solomon. And I thought about what are the things from the Song of Solomon that have compelled me into pursuing God? I thought of all these phrases and I just realized this, that over the last 15 years, I've prayed these phrases hundreds of times. Now I've never had them in a list, they were just ones that stuck out to me. They underlined in my Bible and I just made them a part of my devotional life. And I've, I've literally prayed these prayers hundreds of times. And, and so I'm giving them to you as a way to help you in your devotional life. So I'm encouraging you just to take these little phrases and begin to make them a part of your devotional life. Even this week, I would encourage you, take these seven phrases and just spend an hour just saying them over to the Lord asking him to, to answer these little prayers. So the first one is in uh, chapter one, verse two. It's that one that we mentioned a, a few minutes earlier. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Now, when you read this book as an allegory, you understand that the kisses of his mouth speak of the, the word of God. From the mouth come the word of God, words of God. And so when it says, let him kiss me, the idea is let him impact me with the words from his mouth. So, so often I've prayed this, God, kiss me with your word. Kiss me with your word. Kiss my heart with your word. Or I pray, God, release the spirit of revelation. It's the same prayer. 
Release the spirit of revelation. It's the same prayer as kiss me with the kisses of your word. And, and so often people, they go, you know, I really want to understand the Bible, but when I read it, I don't know what it means. And I would say, then you have to pray this prayer. <laughs> Just pray the prayer over and over and over and over. And what you'll find is light and revelation will begin to open to you as you're staring at the Bible. I would just say this has happened to me, I mean, so, so many times where I'm reading the word, and you've probably done this too, you read it, and you're reading a page, and you get to the bottom of your page, and you go, man, I have no idea whatever that just said. I did 0.0 actually went in. And then you're stuck, and you're like, do I count it? Like, does it actually, I mean, the Lord goes, you can count it. I mean, I'll count it. You know, it's good. You're good. You're trying. This time you might want to read it and pay attention. You're cute. So, you know, I'll give you the bonus round if you'll do it. So you go back and you go, okay, let me try it again. But then go to the top and go, now, Lord, um, I need revelation. Because I, that clearly, there was no traction on that. So I need revelation. And I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me where I literally, Three seconds earlier, I had no idea what the passage meant. I go, Lord, I need the spirit of revelation. I look, by the time I look back at the phrase, not every time this happens, but hundreds of times this has happened. I look back at the phrase and boom, I'm like, whoa, I didn't, I didn't know that three seconds ago. That's the spirit of revelation. That's the kisses of the word. It's getting kissed with the word of God. And that is available for us all the time. See, the, the, th the thing is, she's asking, let him kiss me, but it presupposes that he wants to. And that's the absolute truth. God wants to release encounters of the word in your life. He wants to impact your heart with the word. He longs to speak to you from the word. The fact that you would ask him to delights him. He's ready to do it. And I think there's so often where I've done this, I'll be reading a passage and I'll go, God, I don't know what that means. I go, come on, Lord, just read a little revelation. I'm down here, come on, a little something on that phrase. I don't know what that means. And, uh, and I'll pray and I'll go, God, release the spirit of revelation. I just wanna know what that is. And nothing. And I'll go, huh. And then I'll keep reading. And two sentences later, boom. Whoa, look at that. Oh my Oh my gosh, look at what that one means. No way. And the Lord ties it all together. He goes, I needed to show you what that one meant so I could show you what that one meant. You know, and he just, he just works that thing in you, the spirit of revelation working on your soul. I love it. So you pray that prayer. Encounter me with your word. Release the spirit of revelation in my heart. I want intimacy. I want to know you. I want to know your love. Kiss me with the kisses of your word, God. I need revelation of your word upon my heart. All right, next. We, we referenced this a few weeks ago. He says, your love, she says this, the, the maiden says this, your love is better than wine. Here's the thing. This is a prayer that I've prayed when I realize other attractions have gotten my affections. When I see that other things have gripped my affections, I come back to this and I go, no, Lord, your love is better than wine. Wine represents everything else in the world, all the other attractions. I go, your love is better than wine. Show it to me. Show me the value of your love. Show me the revelation of your love. I want to believe and know this, that your love is truly better than every other thing. I want to know your love. There's nothing in this world that can satisfy me besides you. I must know that. Your love is better than wine. Nothing the world offers. Your love is what I need. Now, I would just say this. You know, God wants to release revelation that his love is better than wine. He wants to release that to your heart because he wants his bride to love him completely. He wants his bride to love him uh, with more passion than she, she wants anything else. He wants to be preeminent in the affections of the bride. And I just want you to imagine this. You know, imagine you have a, a, a man and a woman, they're gonna get married. And, and the, the woman comes to the man, you know, the week before 
the, the wedding and she says, I just want you, I love you. I love you so much. And, and, and I love to be loved by you. And your love, it's almost better than everything. I mean, it's really good. I mean, there's about five or seven things it's not as good as, but it's almost better than everything to me. So I've got two other boyfriends. Their love was better. You know, money, I love how money loves me more than how you love me. And she begins to list out the other things that she loves to be loved by more than him. That wouldn't work very well, would it? That, that wouldn't go so good. See, God wants us to come to that place of where we say with all of our heart, your love, it's better than anything. And really that's the secret to life, isn't it? To know that the love of God is better than a billion dollars. It's better than a new house, better than a new job, better than a new this or that. It's better than anything. Truly, the love of God is the most powerful, greatest reality that there is in existence. All right, C, right there in, in chapter one again, verse four, she says, draw me away. Now, and this is when I pray when, when I'm feeling dull. When I'm feeling dull and I don't feel a lot of movement on my soul, I go, God, draw me away. I need you to draw my heart right now. I need you to put your magnet on my heart. I'm made for you. I need you to draw me into you. Draw me into you. I want to encounter you. Take me into places in the spirit. Show me the revelation of the word. Draw me in in holy passion. Draw me. Allure my heart. Cause my heart to respond to you. That's what I need. Then D, we will run after you. And I, and I say this all the time. I say, Lord, I want to, I want to go wherever you want me to go. I wanna, I wanna do whatever you want me to do. I, I wanna run hard after you. I wanna live my life pursuing you. In parentheses right there, I put let us run together because uh, the New American Standard says let us run together and, and the New King James says we will run after you. The we will run after you is I, I wanna pursue you. I wanna run after you. The let us run together is I, want you, I wanna go wherever you want me to go. I mean, when love has got, gripped your heart, when God's love has captured you, you just get to that place where you just go, whatever you want, Lord. I just wanna go wherever you wanna go, whatever you wanna do. And this, the beautiful thing about it is God is after this thing called partnership. People have thought about it this completely wrong for so long, they just imagine that we're just here and we're sort of servants and slaves and we, you know, you know God just is, wants to keep us at this subservient place, but that's not it at all. He actually wants us to run together with him in his kingdom. What a mystery that the divine, perfect God would allow created people into his kingdom and then in partnership with him in his kingdom. I want to run together. All right, last three. Sustain me. I love this one. I usually pray this one when I'm doing good. When things are going good, I go, yes, everything is awesome. Sustain me right here. I don't ever want to leave this place. You know, the, just the, the winds of the spirit are blowing on you. You feel God. Every billboard you drive by on the road is a prophetic word. I mean, it's just like, yes. People are handing you money for no reason. You're like, thank you, you like me. Yes, I never wanna leave this place. Sustain me, right? That's that prayer. When things are, oh, just, and, 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 and for me, I go, I want this interchange never to stop. Never to stop. I wanna continue to move back and forth in love with you forever. Sustain me, sustain me. And then the next prayer is refresh me. So I pray, sustain me when it's going good, and I pray, refresh me when it's going bad. <laughs> refresh me means I don't feel you, I don't see you, I don't know where you're at. Take me back to the beginning. I pray, refresh me when I've goofed up. I pray, refresh me when I'm feeling shame. I, I pray, refresh me when I'm, when I'm feeling distant. Refresh me, God. 
when I, when I don't sense his love, refresh me. Bring me back to that place of knowing that I ravish your heart, that I'm dark but lovely. Refresh me. Do it again in me. And then finally, and worship team, you can come on. I am lovesick. That's the phrase. That's the phrase of maturity. I am lovesick. It's this. It's where could we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. There's nowhere we can go but you. I'm after you. I want you and you alone. Nothing else will touch me the way you do. I'm hungry for you, Jesus. I must have you. And I don't know how many times I've said that phrase in my life, a bunch, but I'll just, oftentimes I'll just sit there and I'll pray and I'll just go, I'm hungry for you, Jesus. I'm thirsty for you, Jesus. I need you, Jesus. That's the, those are the prayers of a lovesick heart. And it, it, if it's all the same, you can use the language from Song of Solomon, because it is all the same. I'm lovesick for you, Jesus. I, I just use words that make sense to me the most. Sometimes I'll use the words refresh me, sustain me. Sometimes I'll just say, I'm hungry. I need you. I want you. This place of holy pursuit, this place of pursuing God, here's the key. It comes as a response Pursuit of God comes as a response to knowing his fiery love for you, to knowing the ravished heart of God, to knowing how, I mean, radical in love he is for you. You haven't, you haven't gone too far you're not beyond the love of God. And some people, I just, I just, I go, I go, you're lying to yourself because what they'll say is, I'm fine, I don't really need to know love. And I go, you are deceiving yourself. You're made for love. You're constructed by the one who is love to be loved by him. That's what he made you for. And so this idea of pursuing God and these prayers of pursuit, it all comes out of the revelation of his burning heart of love for you, having that seal on your heart where your heart is governed and protected and all the ambitions of your heart flow out of that place of the love of God. Beloved, this is our portion. This is our portion to live every day of your life from that place of the love of God. That's your portion, guys. Oh yeah. And it's from that place that we pursue. I wanna run after you, Lord. I wanna run after you. Amen.